What is your purpose? I wonder which of those answers you've just heard kind of resonated, connected with you. What is your purpose? It's a whopper of a question uh, for a Sunday morning. And perhaps right now you're feeling like it's a question you don't really want to think about or it's too hard to think about right now. But it's a question all of us at times think about. Maybe it's when you were a child or you are a child and you're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe you've spent time recently at writing a personal statement or a CV, or you're trying to navigate a new season of life, or maybe you're at a point of life where you're just wondering what you will be remembered for. Well, those opening verses are from Genesis 2, and at the moment we're in those first three chapters of Genesis, and they help us to begin to answer some of the big questions of life, like what is our purpose? There are three chapters that help us answer, who is God? What does it mean to be human? Why is the world like it is? A couple of weeks ago uh, in Genesis 1, we heard that to be, to be human is to be made in the image of God. It's to be made to be fruitful. And these verses in Genesis 2 that we just heard Anne read take us a bit deeper into what that is all about. You see, Genesis 2 isn't just a competing creation account that's just been glued on to the end of Genesis 1. What we read in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2 is different. It doesn't quite neatly fit, overlap, but they're trying to do different things. If you like, Genesis 1 is like the announcer before the boxer comes into the ring. It's the opening bit of the film before the titles. It's the prologue before chapter one in the book. It's the, it's the overture of the opera before the people sing. Or, or so I'm told, I'm not cultured enough to understand opera. But Genesis one introduces the main characters and it introduces the themes that are gonna get picked up. Genesis one, if you like, is the zoomed out, big picture of everything. Genesis 2 zooms in and we find God making a man and planting a garden. Let's listen again to how it opens in in verse 4. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That phrase, this is the account of, It's something that gets repeated again and again throughout Genesis. It's what divides Genesis up into chunks, into into sort of small chapters, into episodes. And Genesis 2, beginning at verse 4, is episode 1. And it picks up what it means to be made in the image of God. It helps us understand what our purpose is. We're going to see that it shows us that we're to work, we're to care, we're to be free. But our purpose only makes sense in light of something else. It's a bit like drumsticks. Well, they only make sense in light of a drum kit. It's like a a tin opener. Only makes sense in light of a tin. And so what it means to be human, what our purpose is, who we are, only makes sense in light of who God is. That God is the life-giving, generous God. If we want to understand what our purpose is, we first need to lift our eyes to the God we're introduced 
2, in chapter 2, verse 4. The life-giving, generous God. The one who we're told is the Lord God who made the earth and the heavens. So if you've got a Bible open in front of you on your phone or, or in, in paper, uh, you'll notice that it says the Lord God, and Lord is in, in sort of little capital letters, and that's telling us that that's God's personal name. It speaks of him being a promise-keeping, rescuing people kind of God. Back in Genesis 1, where we're in the zoomed-out picture, God is called God. He's the almighty, powerful, eternal creator. And when we zoom in on chapter 2, we see a personal God. And what's he doing? Well, verse 7, we're told the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. (laughs) Doesn't that verse put us in our place? You, me, we're dust. And if my um, GCSE biology is remembered rightly, uh, the dust we spend our time uh, wiping away at home, 50% of that comes from us. It's our dead skin cells. We are dust. Puts us in our place. And yet we are so much more than that, aren't we? Uh, Because we're told uh, that God formed from the dust. A picture of somebody making and shaping something out of clay. Now, people with more skills than me can make bricks and bowls and plates. But all they do is sit there. God takes dust and, and like the potter out of clay, makes people who run and laugh and sneeze and shout. And whoever you are watching this, uh, this morning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, You're handmade, you're bespoke. You're not a number. You're not just another statistic. You are someone with God's breath in your lungs. And notice what God does with this man that he forms. He doesn't sort of stick him in the middle of nowhere and say, go on then, show me what you can do. God puts the man into a garden he's made and says, enjoy. Listen to how it's described in verse 9. It says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eden. It means paradise. It means delight. It's a place of God's generosity on display. And, and there's more, isn't there? We're told about lands beyond the garden, lands to explore and discover. They speak of God's generosity. And if you glance through, we pick up things in verses 11 and 12, talking about gold in this place called Havilah. Why would we be told about gold if we're not being pointed to the God who is a life-giving, generous God? I just wonder this morning, does that match your picture of God? See, I wonder if we too often think of God... uh, as being like a dribbling tap. When in reality, God is like an overflowing fountain. Life-giving. Generous. Now our experience of, of life and God has become distorted and it's become damaged because of sin. But if we look closely, we can still see and glimpse the life-giving generosity of God in the world that we're living in. The taste of the first mouthful of a special meal. And I want to come to the defense of kale here, Lizzie. I love kale. It's delicious. 
but it might not be on your special, special menu. But that taste of the first mouthful, or the sunset that was in the sky on Tuesday night, or you might be seeing the bright green that's shining through of spring, the sound of laughter, even yesterday's rain. Now, a rainy day, you might like, that's not a gift. That's not a generous gift, but, but actually these verses, don't they? they talk about water a lot. We're told about streams, we're told about rivers, uh, we're told about rain. Where there's water, there's life. And it's not just provision for life, it's provision of life to enjoy. So there are puddles to splash, there is water to fill water pistols from and have water fights. Didn't quite get Rob, he's too far away sadly. So when Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, we we hear and experience it again, the same life-giving, generous God. Come to meet us. Through Jesus becoming a man, God opens up again his life to us. On the cross, Jesus lays down his life for us. In the resurrection, Jesus takes up his life and shares it with us. In the sending of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live that life. God is the life-giving, generous God. So we are to be a life-living people. What does that involve? I think Genesis 2, or these verses today, give us three things. Our purpose is to work, to care, and to be free. We're to work. Because God is a life-giving, generous God, we're to work. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. See, the man was not sent into the garden and told to put string up a hammock. He was sent to work, to serve to shape the world God had made in such a way that it would be life-giving to others. It would be a place of enjoyment. The man was to care for the garden. We're told there, there were trees for food. There's cooking. The same trees were pleasing to the eye. There's, there's drawing, there's painting, there's, there's the creative arts, there's making things. We're told about these other lands and the gold and aromatic resin and the onyx that's there. There's, there's exploration, there's discovery, there's development. Later on, we're told that there are animals to name. There's, there's farming, there's, there's science, and then there's children later on to care for. Work, in its fullest range of meaning, is good. It's part of our purpose. And it's why, when long-term illness stops you doing the things you want to do, or you face long-term unemployment, that is frustrating, upsetting, painful. Work is not all there is to life. We thought about what it means to rest last week. But life as God created it, life as Jesus is restoring it to be, life as the Holy Spirit is empowering it to be, involves work, even though it's in the moment for us, at times will feel frustrating and fruitless. There is still goodness in it. Just, just go in your mind to tomorrow morning and what you think you'll be doing. However frustrating or fruitless it might feel in the moment, however far you have to look to see it, there is still goodness. There is still the opportunity to serve others. 
And alongside this, Jesus has given us all a work to do of making him known. Work is good. God is a life-giving, generous God who's created us to work. He's also created us to care. Because we need to read the whole of verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. A few years ago, um, our car, how do you put it, got um, structurally redesigned at the front. And so we were without a car for a little while. And uh, I remember I needed to get to Milton Keynes. We were living in Oxford. I needed to get to Milton Keynes. And I was uh, talking with a friend, trying to work out the best way of getting there. In the middle of this conversation, my friend reached into his pocket with a smile on his face and threw his car keys at me, his keys to his brand new car. Now, admittedly, we were both at Vicar Factory together, so we're not talking high performance, but it was his brand new car. He says, take my car, enjoy it. And I'll admit that on that trip to Milton Keynes, I drove even more like a granddad than I usually do. Why? Because this car belonged to my friend. He'd shown me great generosity in in gifting it to me for that time. How much more so when we realize the life-giving, generous God hasn't, hasn't just lent us his car for a little time. He's gifted us the world that he has made. I found this uh, this week, this, this quote from somebody called Ronald Sider in uh, his chapter in this book, The Care of Creation, uh, really helpful. He says, Created in the divine image, we alone have been placed in charge of the earth. At the same time, our dominion must be the gentle care of a loving gardener, not the callous exploitation of a self-centered lordling. The thing is, sin means we have lived as those self-centered lordlings and not as gentle gardeners. And I suspect we're in a a time when we're more aware of the impact we have on the world than we ever have. Deforestation, habitat destruction, air and water pollution, climate change, just the sheer amount of waste we produce. And as followers of Jesus, we're not to pretend that these aren't realities. But neither are we to pretend that we are the ones who are going to fix it all. Shall we promise when Jesus returns that he will make all things new? But we are to live now knowing this world is still the world, the life-giving, generous God has given to us with a smile on his face and said, take care of it. And so it is time, and it's important for us to, to look at our lives honestly and to make real and lasting changes. See, God is the, the life-giving, generous God. He, he creates us to work. He creates us to care. And he creates us to be free. So we read in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's a question that pops up there, isn't there? Did did God really create people to be free if there is a but in that sentence? Surely freedom means the absence of limits. But if we look honestly at our lives, we realize we all live with limits. Now, I might think, I'm free to fly around this room. Gravity says, no, you're not. See, true freedom in life is is found 
when we live with the right limits in place, when we live with God's life-giving limits in place. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't there to catch anybody out. The tree being there isn't telling us that God's, uh, and not being able to eat from it, is telling, it's, it's not telling us that God's stingy. That he's a bit of a misery guts. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil speaks of trusting and loving the life-giving, generous God. Just remember what's planted next to it. We're told earlier on, aren't we? The tree of life. And that certainly speaks of God's life-giving generosity. The man was free to eat from that tree as well as any other tree in the garden. You thought there was choice in the supermarket cereal aisle. How much more so here? So when we hear Jesus say in in John uh, chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We need to hear these as the words of the life-giving, generous God. Following Jesus doesn't mean living however we want to live, but it's choosing to live life, trusting and loving the life-giving, generous God and his direction to how best life is lived. Jesus clearly is not stingy. He's not a misery guts. He's the one who willingly lay down his life for you and for me to share all that he has. See, we have the life-giving, generous God. We understand our purpose when we see that, that we are to work, we're to care, we're to be free. And next week, we will pick it up a bit more, that we're made for relationship with each other, for community, for marriage. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a life-giving, you are the life-giving, generous God. Would you help us to see you rightly? And would you, by your Spirit, help us more and more to, to live out lives that are being restored as we work, as we care, as we seek to live in true freedom? Help us, I pray. Amen.